Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life on Earth podcast. I'm super excited about our guests and our episode today. We talked about everything and anything from NDE's near-death experiences, teaching yoga, traumas, healing, body, mind, spirit, shape-shifting, nature, and so much more. I think you're going to be excited with my guest. His name is Michael Harris. I am very proudly launching my new website. That is nataliecarad.com. I'll include that on show notes. On the website, you'll see a members portal. So now we have a membership, which is light code. And that membership, what that is, is every month there will be a Zoom call, which we will gather as a community. And through video call, we will explore many different topics, as well as I'm sharing all of my favorite articles, books, podcasts on the platform, and a healing technique or a meditation or a ritual, something that can enhance your life each and every month. The purpose of this really is to build community and for us to connect. So check that out and see what you think. If you're a yoga teacher and you have a 200-hour, 300-hour, 500-hour certification, I also have scroll down on the members portal all the way down. You're going to see Y-A-C-E-P, which is a Yoga Alliance Continuing Education Program and which I am a facilitator. So for that, you will see the details there. There's a couple of options for you to do continuing education through this membership site as well. In this case, we cover many topics in the yoga world And of course, I have a list. All you have to do is reach out to me and I'm very happy to share anything from sequencing to modifications to finding your teaching voice, the chakra system, and so much more. It's quite fascinating. This is also a great platform for graduates of my 200 and 300 hour yoga teacher training program to join. And again, for us to continue to see each other and to be this community, get closer ask questions, and get to know each other. So, without further ado, enjoy Mr. Michael Harris. Welcome to Life on Earth, The Peace Project, a podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature and ultimately love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace, and global equality, one earthling at a time. Hi, welcome to Life on Earth podcast. I'm here today with Michael Harris. Hi, Michael. Hi, it's it's, uh, nice to hear your voice and it's nice to be here today. Yeah, thank you so much for interviewing me, um, you know, for recently and i also shared that on life on earth so that was uh for everyone listening following up radio that i reposted from michael so thank you and thank you for being a guest on the show absolutely and it was wonderful uh having you on my show and learning more about what you do and uh how you're spreading yoga and love around the world Thanks, Michael. Same to you. And yeah, so I, our, we left our conversation. I still had a lot of questions and really wanted to share with our community your story and what you're doing. 
and also your book um, and learn a little bit more about your book and the process of creating the book as well. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, like where do you live and, and what are you doing right now? Well, I, I live in Central Oregon. I live at about 3,700 feet and um, I live here so I can get out into the woods a lot. I actually spent the morning up in kind of a marshy, lakey area up in kind of a cup surrounded by some peaks, some mountain peaks. And I like to go up there and meditate and take some pictures and just enjoy the great outdoors. Yeah, that's lovely. So um, are you a yoga teacher as well? Surprisingly, yes, because I was never going to be a yoga teacher. I just started yoga because I just wanted to heal my body. <laughs> so, so yeah, what, what do you practice nowadays? Well, to, today I primarily practice Bikram yoga. Mm -hmm. when, when I started, I started, to make a long story short, I started in um, the Pritikin Center, Pritikin Longevity Center in Santa Monica when I could barely walk, and that was 1987. Oh, wow. And so how did it, how do you feel that it healed you? Well, I, I started doing it because I, I had atherosclerosis, and they had talked about amputating both my legs, and I did have bypass surgery on my legs from blocked arteries, and I could barely walk, and I really learned how to walk again 10 feet at a time up and down the Santa Monica boardwalk. I'd walk about 10 feet and sit down, and then maybe 10 feet and sit down, and I, I did that over a period of time, and within about two weeks, I could walk two miles. And interspersed between that were the yoga classes at the Pritikin Longevity Center. I didn't know at the time that yoga could do that much for my body. I didn't know much about it. You know, it was the 80s, and I knew my mom did it from um, someplace every once in a while, but I didn't even really know what yoga was yet. Okay. And so what happened? Did you go to a class? How did you... Well, yeah, I said I started down in Santa Monica, the Pritikin Center, and then I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time, and I returned back to Portland, and it felt so good that I kept doing some yoga, and I'd go to a gym in Portland, and they had a yoga class there, and I started venturing off into some yoga studios around Portland. There wasn't very many at the time, but there was a few, and I started doing yoga, and I remember when I went to this one class in downtown Portland and the woman, the teacher, Diane, was, was teaching downward dog and I would fall out of downward dog. I couldn't do the posture mm -hmm. uh, wow. because the pain still around in my legs. And, and even though I'd done a lot of healing already, most yoga was very difficult for me. You know, I was mm -hmm. the first at the back of the room that was hurt and injured and couldn't do very much. Okay. Yeah, and then, then from there, I ventured into Ashtanga. I saw a flyer on a wall in a ski shop in Portland. I had been longing to get back to skiing and I saw this flyer it said there was going to be this Ashtanga workshop, and I didn't know anything about Ashtanga at the time, and it was uh, Beryl Bender Birch and Tom Birch that were doing the class, and a 
local place in Portland, and it said, you know, do this yoga and you'll be able to, to ski better and yada, yada, yada. I just wanted to ski again, let alone better. <laughs> and, um, so I, yeah. I went to this workshop and, and I had um, virtually a kundalini type experience. I remember crying in Savasana at the wow. end of the class and, and almost my body almost vibrating. Yeah. Uh, That's pretty cool. That yeah, I was flabbergasted. Yeah, that that's like such an experience. I mean, you know, I feel like many people have hopefully at some point, at least once you get to experience that kind of shavasana because it's quite transformational. Well, and if, if over the years, that that was that may have been the first one, but it certainly wasn't the only one. I mean, it's, it's more than I can count today. Yeah, yeah. And Ashtanga is a vigorous practice. So you stayed with that for a bit or how did it shift into Bikram? Yeah, I, I stayed with Ashtanga. I thought I was going to do Ashtanga for life, and I studied with people like Nancy Gilkoff and mm-hmm. David Swenson and a guy named Clifford Sweet, which probably a lot of people don't know who that is, but um, he was one of the early practitioners with David Swenson and, and some of the others. And I started practicing with them, and I would go over to Maui from time to time to practice with Nancy over there, and I just totally fell in love with the shtanga and myself and three other people in the early 90s can't remember what year it was 91 or 92 uh, there was four of us and we started what we called the portland shtanga co-op and there wasn't really a shtanga in portland at the time and Mm -hmm. started it in this martial arts studio and um after that, Ashtanga really started taking off in Portland, not just because of what we did, but because of other people starting um, classes at Mysore and all of that as well. Yeah, and you know, I, th- I feel that when you're practicing Mysore style, um, it's really, it's very, it can be very healing, you know, with the breath and the movement and just kind of moving at your own pace, which is originally how Ashtanga was intended to be practiced anyways. Yes. I find that could be very healing because you can definitely modify. A lot of times, you know, Ashtanga gets this um, sort of like known for being such a vigorous vinyasa and definitely is, but it can also be very therapeutic and very healing. You know, all yoga really can be therapeutic and art is therapeutic in my opinion, so... Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I use the term therapeutic yoga, and I think, well, all yoga is therapeutic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so how did so how did you then transition to the Bikram? Well, i had been doing a lot of Ashtanga and was also continuing to go back time to time to that original studio with, with Diane and... Then a studio opened in Portland in 1993, a Bikram studio, one of the very early studios. Somebody named Conrad opened it. And I went there, and my first reaction was that it was hot, sweaty, and stupid. <laughs> oh, and it's just like, you know, I do Ashtanga. This can't be yoga. What's this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of re- re- initial reaction. And I, w- I was really into comparing the practices Mm, and you know that 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 happens a lot i I see that a lot with a lot of people Mm -hmm. it's easy now now with so many 
Well, there's different traditions and what, what I call different styles that don't so much have a tradition, but they're a different style uh-huh. of practice. And But I, I started doing the, the Bikram, and even though I felt it was hot, sweaty, and stupid, at the same time, I really liked it. I really liked to sweat. I didn't sweat at first, but after a few classes, I started to sweat. And, you know, with the, with the Shtanga, you can sweat too, and... And with Bikram, obviously, with the heat in the room, you can sweat as well pretty good. Yeah, and that works really well for your body. Uh, I loved it. And I, I would go back and forth and from Ashtanga to Bikram, you know, not, not necessarily committed to either practice. Well, initially, I was only committed to Ashtanga. But I, I started hurting my shoulder. My chrome process was sticking out of my left shoulder. And uh, I'd gone to some sports medicine doctors, and they wanted to do some surgery. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go back to Bikram and, and do Bikram for a month or two till I heal. Then I can go back to Ashtanga. Well, I did the Bikram practice every day for 30 days, and at the end of 30 days, my shoulder injury was gone, and I had no more pain. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, but an epiphany occurred to me. Because of my surgery that I had on my legs, and just to go back just a little bit, I had bypass surgery on my legs from my blocked arteries. They were going to amputate my legs. This was... um, end of 1986 and I'd been in and out of the hospital and I left the hospital against medical advice on a cane. And that's where I ended up at Pritikin after that. But I was, I still had some pain in my legs and thought I was going to be one of those people that had to live with pain the rest of their life. But once my shoulder injury started healing and that pain went away in my shoulder, I thought, wow, maybe my leg pain can go away. Maybe I don't have to live with this anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was a training coming up. It was 1998. It was 1997 now. And there was a training in early 1998 with Bikram himself. And I had heard wild and crazy things about Bikram, you know, even back then. And thought, <laughs> uh, well, I'll go. And I called some different places around the country, some some different types of training, Jayengar, Shtanga, um, some different trainings. But I found myself writing the check to Bikram and going to the training. At the time, it was 11 weeks. I spent 13 weeks with him, though, initially. And I went down to heal my body. I didn't care about being a teacher. I just wanted to heal my body. I wanted the pain to stop. And I thought Bikram would, would somehow heal me. Well, Bikram said, no, I won't heal you. He says, you have to do it on your own. I can show you what to do. And I actually got rather frustrated with him because I wanted all these modifications to my postures because of my pain in my legs. And mm-hmm. he wouldn't do it. And he said, Michael, don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. Well, I wasn't hearing that idea of don't worry about, forget about it. I was worrying about it. I didn't want to forget about it. Obviously, this yoga dude from India had no idea how I was feeling, right? Interesting. And so so I, I was ready to check out a teacher training and go home because he wasn't going to heal me. Hmm. But I ended up in the, in the back of the room. We had 39 people in our training, and I hung out in the back of the room for a week or so, kind of sulking. You know, I was a sulker in teacher training. 
And I was in the back of the room. And then one day I noticed in one of the postures, uh, uh, standing head to knee, that that posture was one that would really hurt my left leg a lot. And I noticed one day I had no pain in my leg. And then as I went into the full posture with my head on my knee, I had absolutely no pain. And I started having tears in my eyes. And I started crying because I did not have any pain anymore. And that's the moment that I started listening to what Bikram was really saying. And, and that idea, going back to that same idea, don't worry about it. Forget about it, just doing the yoga. Because I was holding on. I was holding on to my pain. I didn't want to let it go. I was holding on to my thoughts, my resentments, my anger, all that other stuff. And by continuing to do the practice on a regular basis, two, three classes a day, we were doing six, seven hours a day for, for 13 weeks of yoga, you know, I burned out, I, you know, I not burned out in the sense of burned out. I burned out that anger and frustration and let it go. And my pain was gone. Wow. That's pretty powerful. So you studied with Brick Bikram himself. Yes. Yeah. Be- so how yeah. is he? I mean, how was that like? How is he? Well, at, at the time, you know, it was a pretty phenomenal training for me, you know, it was Bikram and there were some some other teachers and there were several doctors that had come over from India as well that would lecture us and, and, and teach us. There, there was one of the doctors and I don't remember his name. I want to say it was um, Bhakti, doctor. I don't, I don't remember exactly his last name, but he was one of the people that originated the laser for laser surgeries. And... He talked about the energy in our body and how the energy, we have so much energy in our body, one human body could power the state of California for a year. What? That's this crazy. A, yeah. This was his physicist guy and, um, you know, pretty well known to, to say the least. And so we, we, we learned a lot from him. And then there was another one from Kolkata University, um, Dr. Dot that came, he was the uh, professor of yoga at Kolkata, and he came and taught, and I've studied with him a number of times since then over the years, but we were exposed to um, some really phenomenal teachers and really some depth that I didn't realize that I was going to experience. That must you know, have been very exciting. It was extremely exciting. Yes. So, you know, because I feel like Ashtanga, Bikram can also be very sometimes misunderstood, you know, by so many. And one of the one of the things that come up for me is something that you said already just a few moments ago about uh, this thing that this need that we as human beings need of comparing and of, you know, measurement or something, because in reality, there is no such a thing. In reality, it's like, you know, if somebody wants to do Bikram, that's great. If somebody wants to do Iyengar, that's great. And, you know, there really should be just uh, you do what you want to do. And, and and there's no, where is this need coming from of, you know, trying to judge a style? Or if you don't like it, then you have to judge and put your, you know, put it out there versus like, 
maybe if you don't like it, just don't go there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's just kind of interesting to me because, like you said, there's so many different styles of yoga out there. And obviously, I don't practice all of them. Some of them, they just don't resonate with me. But I also don't feel a need to... Um, to label it or judge it or, you know, or, or the people who do it or, and so I just always find that very interesting when that's going on in the yoga world and so much talk. And even with uh, some of the masters like Bikram and Patabi Joys and other people that have gotten into some quote unquote trouble, you know, and I mean, what do you feel about that with these sort of like gurus that, or, or even just yoga teachers like John for, or, you know, different things happening like that. And what do you feel about people when people talk and, and, and what, you know, is there anything that you kind of want to share about that? Yeah, uh, that, that's a huge question. And yeah. I'll try to encapsulate it a little bit. And it comes back to the don't worry about it, forget about it, just do the yoga idea as well. You know, one of the things that, that I've noticed with in the yoga community, and it happens not just in the yoga community, but it happens everywhere. And, you know, everybody's challenged with certain issues, whether it's Bikram or John Friend or whatever it is, some Amritasai, some of the different issues that have occurred over the years. And some splitting of different yoga communities into to different um, thinking and thoughts and all that. And certainly there, there were moments that I felt, um, I'm, I'm not sure that the, the right word, but certainly frustrated and angry that these things were going on. I couldn't understand it. How could this be spiritual? What was happening? You know, all these different types of th- ideas that were going through my head. And, you know, I look back on my life, too, and certainly my early life, you know, I drank a lot. I got in a lot of trouble. I had been arrested a couple of times for drinking and driving um, in the 70s and, and early 80s. And so certainly, you know, I w- was not a saint early on either, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yet I was trying to put these other people up on pedestals and making them saints. And they're not saints. They're and, that, and that's the thing. And that's yeah. it. And that's it. You nailed it. I mean, because exactly what you were going to say next. I'm sorry to interrupt. They're human. We're hu- we're all just humans, you know. Yeah. And we, we, we all face our own challenges and our own difficulties and hit bottom in, in our own different ways. And... You know, we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people. And for me, I just believe that we just, you know, keep moving forward and keep, you know, staying on whatever path it is that we're staying on, you know, for our healing and all of that. So I, I hesitate today to throw too many stones at people and um, try, try to look at, well, why does this person bother me? What is it about me? Because ultimately, I'm 100% responsible for whatever it is that I think or feel about somebody else or anything for that matter. Absolutely. And I think that that's, the, I'm the same way. I agree with you 100%. And I think that part of the situation is, you know, when we put some of our teachers or gurus or whatever you want to call it on pedestals, and really kind of thinking that they're saints or somewhat completely 100% enlightened beings and 
And that's just not realistic. You know, it's not any time that we do that, we're really setting ourselves up for failure. And, and honestly, it's not to say that some of the actions that some of these beings did or, or, or like you said, like, like, you know, or that I, when I've made mistakes or whoever, that is not that it's right. No, may, of, of course, some of some things are not right and not, you know, but I also have a, a deep understanding that um, we're all here in this kind of earth school trying to figure this out no matter what level. And I think that um, even spiritual teachers have lots of challenges, you know, just like all of us. So, yeah. And I, I think what, what happens, too, in different communities, and I've seen it happen in the Bikram community and the other communities as well, is when we feel challenged with our teacher, you know, sometimes I see people stand up and go, okay, what's right for me? What is it that I want to do? And it gives that open space for them to move forward doing what they're guided to do. And in that sense, when we have these challenges in our communities, it gives us an opportunity to grow in ways that we might not have grown if that situation had not happened. Yeah, growing ways that are unimaginable. And that's a really wonderful thing. That's a very good point that you just made. So your uh, radio show is called Falling Up Radio and your book is Falling Up as well, right? Well, the, the book is, yes, yeah, so the show, my podcast is Falling Up Radio. Yeah. And the book is Falling Down, Getting Up. In mm, the book? The, the, yeah, the, the book is Falling Down, Getting Up. Falling it's, Down, Getting Up. Okay. Yes. And so can you tell us a little bit about your book? I'm very curious about your book and how, um, how did it all start? Like what's, well, what's the book about and, and then how did you have this idea of writing this book? Sure. Well, the, the, the book is really that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what our challenges are, we can use that for fertilizer to grow to whatever level it is that, that we're going to grow to. So what, one of the things I haven't mentioned yet is when I was 12 years old, I was in a water skiing accident in 1971. I had 60% of my liver removed, gallbladder, cracked ribs, collapsed lung. I went into a coma. I had a near-death experience. I, I died, and I met the spirits, and I came back. Whoa. I would love to hear more about that. So, so, so that's a huge story just in itself. Yes. And I know some people that have had near-death experiences that felt un enlightened, which I did to some extent, but I also felt angry because I came back. I didn't want to come back. So, okay, I know we can, let's just, just, just talk about this just for a moment um, before we go into the book. So this uh, NDE, near-death experience that you had, you did you go to a place? Did you see a light? Like, what's that moment like? Uh, yes. Well, the, the first time that I recognized that I was out of my body was, was actually during the surgery. I had a 20-hour surgery, and I was outside of my body, and I was holding the hand of this presence, it was this large man and I was holding his hand. I remember that was the first time that he said it was gonna be okay. And I was went into this coma and not expected to come out. And then within that coma, 
And the best I can tell was at the, the end of the, I was in a coma for 10 days. It was at the end of the coma. And I had gone out of my body and I went into this garden area and there was a number of spirits around. And I felt like I was in this place of pure love and pure light. And I've never felt so happy in my life. Wow. And you could see, so that there was a moment that you you saw your body on the surgery table. You saw yeah. it. Okay. Yes. And then you're in this garden and there's these beautiful sort of spirits. Were they humans? Were they just beings? I mean, what, what is it just energy? Well, I, I felt that they, they were in human form. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were like enlightened beings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the only time I've experienced something quite like that. I've had some other experiences, but not quite like that. And it felt really good. I'm, I'm assuming it, you felt very light. I felt very light. And, you know, I was outside of the hospital area, too. And I experienced other spirits around the hospital, and I felt like some of the people that had passed previously within that hospital were still around the hospital. So there was a number of other spirits or entities that were around other than the garden area that I was in, because I was in like this garden area with the light and beads and the spirits. And the other ones were maybe um, just different vibrations, like maybe some of them were not enlightened? Is that what you're... I, I, I don't, I don't, I hesitate to say that they weren't enlightened. I, like I said, I felt like some of them were, were spirits that were still around the hospital. Some of them were people that I felt like had already passed and that were there to help people that were mm-hmm. in the hospital. That makes sense. Yeah. But then when I, I started coming back and I knew that I was going back to my body. Yeah, how I, did that feel like? I didn't want to come back. Mm-hmm. And I reached out and I said, I want to stay. And they said, you're not through yet. You have to go back. Mm-hmm. You and know, yeah. I was and angry. I was angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, near-death experiences are so fascinating to me. I've read countless books on the subject. I've also spent a lot of time researching it. And one of the reasons why I find it so fascinating is because here you have people from, you know, completely different cultures, different languages all over the world, and a recollection of somewhat similar um activities and sensations and feelings and you know so this is coming from various sources and um so i find that very intriguing and it's it's even if nothing else if somebody wants to look from at it from a very scientific point of view where so where is what's going on you know where do we go what happens there and then and then most people also say what you just said that come the coming back is very challenging so it's uh, I find it extremely interesting. <laughs> it, it, I, I did, yeah, the challenge when I came back, and initially I, I woke up from my coma, and the first thing I asked for was my bike. You know, as a 12-year-old kid, my bike was in the bike shop. I wanted my bike so I could go ride my bike. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it seems so silly, but the, the, the nurses, as I'm told, when I woke up, I said, bike 30 days. <laughs> because there was a sign in the shop that said, if 
your bike is here for more than 30 days, we'll sell it for the cost of your repairs. Well, I was in the hospital and that was what I wanted. I wanted my bike back. It, it was approaching 30 days. Yeah. <laughs> so it took her a little bit for the nurses to figure out what was going on that my bike was in the shop. You know, they had to talk to my mom and my dad and, oh yeah, the bike's in the shop. We totally forgot. Yeah, I mean, 10 days. So you were in a coma for 10 days. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So how was that as a, uh, you said 11, no, 12, right? I was 12 years old. 12 year old. So how was that as a 12 year old? Then you come back from that kind of experience. Did the world feel differently? Day-to-day life? Did anything change? everything changed and I didn't know how to handle it. You know, it was the summer right before seventh grade and, you know, I didn't go back to to school in September. I did, I went back in January. So I I missed the first part. I was the, just like I was that person that sulked in the back of the room in yoga. I was the sick kid in seventh grade that white, that white looking sick kid in the back of the room. And I had a tube in the side of me because it was draining different fluids out of, out of my body for a, a number of months. And so I felt rejected. I didn't feel like the, the strong little, little Joe Jock kid I, I was growing up to be and, and all that kind of stuff. Instead of being the captain of the baseball team, you know, I couldn't play that kind of stuff. So, so a lot of that had changed for me. And I was angry that I was back in the body. I was, I was getting angry, started smoking pot, started drinking a little bit as a way to feel accepted by other people and as a way to put down my emotions and feelings that I was experiencing. A way to numb, basically. Exactly. And I I, I had talked to my parents about it a couple of times, and they were just happy that I was alive. You know, their 12-year-old kid had survived. And um, so I I didn't feel at the time that I, I had the emotional support to really process what had happened. Yeah. I could yeah. see that as a, especially as a teenager, a young boy, that's, um, it's definitely intense. Well, it's, it was a very traumatic experience, you know, and in hindsight, I, I realized really how traumatic it is and the post-traumatic stress disorder that I've experienced as, as a result of it, the PTSD. And, and it's no wonder that I started doing some of the things that I was doing because I never processed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then moving forward, you, you feel that the yoga, what point did, did this whole thing like start sort of settling and, you know, or maybe you awakening to something else? Well, the, 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 the next surgeries that I had, I was 27 years old, but essentially between the two surgeries, I was pretty wild. And like I said, I smoked a lot of pot and I started drinking and doing some other substances. And then at 27, being told they were going to cut my legs off, um, that was quite the shock. And it's just like, you know, I told them in no uncertain terms that they weren't going to do that. And that triggered my healing that triggered my letting go of of the alcohol and and drugs and, you know, not using those substances anymore and getting sober at that point. And so that really triggered it. So when, when I let go of, 
um, the alcohol and, and the other substances, and I started doing the, the yoga was almost simultaneous. So that they went hand in, in hand together was the emotional healing and the physical healing through the yoga. Then it became one where the yoga and my recovery were emotional and physical healing altogether. If that makes sense, rather than separate, they were together. All together, yeah. Yeah. Total system, body healing system, healing body, mind, spirit. Yes, exactly. That's uh, quite incredible. So when is a book born? Well, the people started saying, you know, hey, you should write a book. Look at this stuff that happened to you. You're a miracle. And I didn't like being called a miracle. I still don't like being called it. But um, that's what some people say because of, yeah. of all the experiences. And um, so I started, like, writing the book but didn't really do a whole lot. I, I asked somebody to help me. This was in, in the early 90s, and they helped me a little bit. And they were a local writer in Portland, but we never really did anything. And then in 2011, I started or something happened, and I made a 90-day commitment to write the book. And I wrote the book in 79 days. And just yeah, you were telling me about that. So how, how what was that process like? I mean, why did you make that decision? And I've, I've asked myself that myself, but I think it was I don't know exactly why, but I was looking at something online. It was like write your book today in a weekend, and I thought, well, I can't do it in a weekend, but maybe I can get <laughs> to ninety days. Okay, yeah. I think it's good, though, to have a, you know, to give yourself like a, a deadline and to be really kind of let's do this. Otherwise, it can take so long. <laughs> it, it's it's like anything, you know, so, so, so many things is that, at least for me, I, I, I require that container, so to speak, you know, in that case, the 90-day container to get this thing done. And you did it? And I did it. And I'll, I'll just tell you another brief little story about it. Mm -hmm. I had not submitted my book to any publishers yet. And I was expecting the typical 50 uh, pink re rejection slips, you know, saying no, 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 no. But I, I showed up in New York City at, at a media event where there was an opportunity to, to meet some media there. And I started talking to this uh um, small New York gentleman and started talking and um, I had no idea who he was and he asked me what, what I was there for and I said well I've got this book and, da, da, da. and he, I started telling him about the book and within five minutes he says you have a number one bestseller can I publish your book wow oh my and god did, and he had like published like Henry Kissinger and Howard Stern and, oh, wow. and some, some really well-known people, you know, and yeah. it's this kid from Portland that does a little bit of yoga. That's know? so cool. Yeah. So cool. And so that's, was, yeah. So you published yeah. with him? So I, I published with him. We had an agreement. Let's see, that was on a Friday and by the following Wednesday, we had an agreement and a uh, signed contract. And about six months later, I put it out. I, I did a campaign through Amazon, and within within a day, within a couple of hours, it went to number one. It ended up number one in yoga, recovery, and in stress. Oh wow! 
That's a pretty cool story, Michael. So what was the process like of writing a book? If somebody is a newer writer and they're going through the process of just maybe beginning to write a book, what, um, you know, I've been going through this myself. So I'm very curious about different tips from people who have accomplished books. Like what would you tell a person who's, you know, maybe wanting to write a book, like how to start the beginning phases? Well, a couple people have hired me over the years to do it, and I have helped some other people do it. One of the things that I always recommend is to do a table of contents first and to to write out, you know, that basic overview of what you're going to write about, even though like your chapter titles may change a little bit, but say, you know, you, you have a table of content and you're going to do 12 different chapters. What are the chapter titles going to be? What is each one going to talk about? And then the, the other thing that I believe is really important is what do you want the reader to get as a result of reading your book? Mm-hmm. But what's your idea? Do you want them to be entertained? Do you what what do you want? In my case and in my book, I wanted to to give the idea that no matter what, everything was gonna be okay. And that you can use those challenges, your hitting bottom, those failures in your life, again, like I mentioned earlier, as fertilizer to really grow and expand into really for lack of a better term, you know, a higher being is not really the quite the right term, but um, somebody that is helpful and of service of the world. So that was my intention of, of the book is to help trigger that in other people. Yeah, that sounds like a really beautiful intention and very inspiring, too, that this book could potentially, you know, and probably most it has inspired many people. So, um, so now that the book is out, where are you at now? What's going on? Like, what are your offerings? What are you doing nowadays? Well, just briefly, you know, I I did end up owning a couple of Bikram studios. Oh, Uh, I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. So I opened my first studio in Portland in 99. I was never going to teach. And, you know, year after training, I opened up my studio. I opened one in Bend, Oregon. I've since sold both of them. I had a company for a number of years called Yoga Business Expert. And I was coaching, doing business coaching for yoga studios all around the world. And I was actually looking at, and I had negotiated with Bikram to manage his franchise. I was going to take over 300 studios in the United States initially. And we had a franchise agreement written up, but it didn't end up getting signed. And I knew that if it wasn't going to get signed, what I was going to do is I was going to hike in the mountains. Mm -hmm. And I was going to coach other people. I was going to write my book. Well, that's what I've been doing. You know, so it's interesting how how the the universe works. And now today I still teach and I work with just a couple of studios on uh, more of a quiet basis. I don't really do the yoga business expert, although that company is still out there. Um, And I'm really focused more on my podcast, bringing different types of guests on there, whether they're yoga, whether it's chronic pain, whether it's plant-based eating or in some some businesses as well. And really people that have overcome something 
and that have then accomplished something. So I wanted to give people ideas and stories because we really heal through storytelling. You know, we, we sit around the fire over eons and tell stories to each other in the middle of the night, right? Um, and that, that's a great way to heal and to realize that we can really live the life that we want. So I'm doing the podcast um, the book is uh, available. I have a, a program, a companion program that I wrote for the book called uh, Falling Down, The Real Secrets to Success. So I have that companion program. Is that I, a program that you utilize also for your coaching? I don't use it for my coaching. It, it's more of a personal program rather than a business program. Mm-hmm. So your coaching was mostly business, is mostly business oriented. Well, with the yoga studios, yes. And at the same time, I found that the business coaching with the yoga studios was still all about the personal level and where a particular studio owner or teacher was tended to create or manifest what whatever it is that was um, happening with their studio or their life. So yeah, that makes kind of process. Yeah. yeah. Are you still uh, doing coaching? Just a few, like I said, I mean, it, it's really more on a quiet basis, an individual basis, and I'm choosing who to who I'm working with. I used to have, you know, a huge membership website and a bunch of modules and a hundred videos and, and all that stuff, which I don't do that anymore. Okay, and why did you decide to to stop that? Because I really wanted to focus more on podcasting. You know, I'm. I'm focusing more on speaking and getting on stage. And I like to talk about things like shape-shifting and and quantum leaps and that nature teaches us that we have this ability to go from one state to another state um, just um, sometimes instantaneously because that's what nature does. And so I, I like talking in, in about those subjects and, and those areas as well. Is this like a calling do you feel like you are living your calling, your dharma? Uh, absolutely, yes. That's beautiful. And you know, re- re- recently, I some some of the listeners may be aware of a gentleman named Les Brown, and um, he's a internationally known speaker. Toastmasters actually said he's one of the top five speakers in the world, and I started working with him, and um, he's given me some insight, too, as well on speaking and stories and and how to tell the story and how to uh, be on stage and how to present what, what I'm looking to present. So it's even that in itself it has been a blessing. I, I met him a number of years ago, and then I was invited to speak with him on stage recently. And um, we've developed a really wonderful friendship. And I just I feel blessed to um, um, have this God-given teacher to me to help me with my next step. Yeah, it's um, so important to have a tribe of mentors, of people that you trust that can you know, somehow be a light on the path of what we're trying to accomplish. And I've been blessed to have my own. And I was writing about that today, actually. So it's a beautiful thing, that kind of relationship when you can connect with someone on that level, especially someone who has mastered something they're willing to share, you know. Yeah. And um, I, I believe that we we heal better within groups than, I mean, it comes back to the individual healing, but we need groups and community to live and to heal. Without it, we'll never do it. 
I totally agree. And it's something that I also feel like needs to be cultivated because as we expand as, um, you know, yogis or practitioners or healers and the light beings and from yoga studios to the internet and expanding to membership sites and online trainings, which is all great. I also feel like some, sometimes it can lose somewhat of the community aspect of when it, it was only those little studios with people walking in and out. But it, you can cultivate that even on, on um, a global scale or, you know, through membership sites or the internet or uh, even if it's Zoom calls. That's what I'm trying to do with some of my people now. It's uh, small group calls or big group calls, whatever. So that, But the point is, is so that we can be together as a community, even if we're kind of scattering and expanding. That's what I mean. It's still yeah. important to come together somehow whether yeah. it's workshop or, but also maintain that connection and maintain the conversation going, mm-hmm. you know, it, as opposed to, oh, I'm just going to see my teacher once a year. Yeah. So that's um, a component that has always been important to me. And I've, I was very, it was very easy to lay that out when I had a yoga shala, yoga studio, because people were coming in and out the door. And now mm-hmm. that's more of an online thing. It's the challenge was like, well, how to cult, how to cultivate that community so that we can all still have that, even if it's expanding from, you know, the yoga studio out. Yeah. So, but it's cool. So you mentioned a uh, plant-based, are you, a, you, you're plant, you eat plant, plant-based diet, right? Yes. And so you mentioned, I think, speaking on plant-based. So can you tell me why, if someone is listening to this right now, why do you feel plant-based is the way? Uh, that's another huge subject. But <laughs> to, to, to keep it a little bit smaller for, for the moment, you know, in, when, when I had my surgeries on my legs in such an 86 and I went to Pritikin and, and they're they plant-based is that it was able to reverse my disease very quickly, like within a couple of weeks. And I can't say that I've been plant-based ever since then. I've gone back and forth several different times to wanting to have steak every day to wanting to, to have broccoli every day. And um, now, now I'm totally plant-based. Um, I've done a lot of studying around, you know, the China study and um, Engine 2 and, and Rip Esselstyn and, and all of the, the people that are talking about Rich Roll and yeah. Dean Ornish and, and everybody else. And so Dr. I've realized... Col- you're talking about Dr. Collins and um, all that, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and that forks over a knife, just if yep. anybody's listening, wants to dig into it. It's a really wonderful documentary. Forks Forks Over Knife is a is a really great one. And um, I've also done a lot of studying around chronic pain and Dr. Sarno and Dr. Clark and a lot of the, the chronic pain and under understanding how that process flows. But with, with the food I've, I've seen so many different people go from chronic conditions uh, within just a couple of weeks to healing or in reversal of disease. I mean, there was somebody that I know recently, they had a, a 600, 600 cholesterol. 
And then they went to a plant-based and they were a real meat and potato type person. They went to plant-based and within just two weeks, they dropped it down to 273. So even though that is high, they're still, you know, dropping down even further. And I, I really believe that it's one of the ways that, that we heal. And again, I can get on t- into all the science about it um, at a, maybe a, at a different time. But I just find that for, for me and when I see other people that a- apply that to their lives, that it changes lives. You know, just like yoga. You know, yoga changes lives. Plant-based eating changes lives, and it can change very quickly. You know, you've seen and and I've seen and and yoga teachers, I mean, I've seen people within a month do things, you know, reversing diseases and diabetes and and all sorts of different things with yoga very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with the plant-based diet, absolutely. Absolutely. There's there's so many like stories over stories over stories. And you mentioned Rich Roll. I mean, that's another amazing podcast. I love it. And his wife uh, is so special. Uh, her name is Srimati. She's actually one of my mentors, wow. teachers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really, um, those guys are really amazing. I love everything they're doing. And, yeah, I think exactly this is a big subject maybe – we can go back to it another time, but it's uh, something that I'm very passionate about too. And not even to mention, you know, ahimsa and nonviolence to all beings, and really taking care of planet Earth, sustainability, and also all the animals. You know, I'm a huge animal lover, and I just can't cannot do any that kind of suffering. And then, where is that energy going to go? And an energy level is just cannot be destroyed. So it goes from it can only be trans, you know, going transmitted yeah. into you. And so yeah. I think that that is also something to think about because then you do we really want that kind of suffering in our system, body, mind, spirit? Do we really want to be a part of that? You know, you want to be a part of the solution, not the problem. Absolutely. So there's so much to think about that and so much to talk, but I just want to plant that seed out there for everyone who's listening. And I re- really appreciate that you are speaking on that. And well, like I said, it really started early on and just briefly, I don't know if the listeners or you know who Howard Lyman is, but um, he's been a big proponent uh, beyond beef, et cetera. He was the yes. one on the show. Yes, I know. I know, I know that. Uh, for the the burger comment, but mm-hmm. he was third generation uh, cattle rancher in Montana, and mm-hmm. he was standing there as they were bringing the, the the cattle in to slaughter. And he looked in the eyes of one of these cows, and he said that he knew that the cow was about ready to get killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said he just couldn't do it anymore. So I heard him initially in 1991. Um, a long time ago, but it's just that there is a lot of suffering and the, the animals know it and, you know, it changes their energy and, and everything else. And we're destroying much of the planet as, as a result of cattle and, you know, the change of the rainforest and, and all of that, um, you know, and I, I think it's it's all interrelated. It's all interrelated. The information is out there. There's so much availability through the documentaries and books and podcasts. People are really speaking out to it. And so I really, um, 
I love that. You know, I think we're at a great place in terms of that. It's just now everybody wanting to awaken and remove the veils. I On this subject, if you're listening to this podcast, I also... I'm going to say if you want to know more, you can also watch Cowspiracy. It's on Netflix. And uh, there's, you know, it, it, it talks about the forests and the deforestation and sustainability. So there's a lot on that, which is, which is great. Um, so thank you for that. But also, okay, before I let you go, just a couple more things. You mentioned the shape-shifting. Do you mean like getting out of a situation into another like, do you mean that by, like, we are capable of switching things around very quickly? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's really, that's really uh, amazing, too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. even if you are in a crazy situation, things can change very quickly. Well, I, I know that they've changed for me very quickly in an instant, and it was a matter of making a decision and when I made that decision, you know, the universe conspires to help you when we let it. And I find that when, when we come to that point, at least for me and where, where, when I work with people in this area as well, is that we make a decision and everything begins to change immediately. You know, I, I can, in, in an example in nature, I can stand in the middle of the mountains in nature and within an instant, it can be snowing, and within an hour, there can be a foot of snow on the ground, literally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's shape-shifting. That is nature shape-shifting, going from one state to another state. And that's all shape-shifting is. That's all quantum leap is. And if we, we look at those examples, and there's many different examples of that, where we start to get in tune with, with that natural rhythm and the, the rhythm of nature, we can have that same change. Now, it wasn't that the, the sunny day was bad, so to speak, or the snow was bad. It's just a change from one state to another state. And it can happen, like I said, instantly. Sea cucumbers do it. I mean, there's so many different examples of nature of how to do it. The, tr- the um, northern white-faced owl in Africa can instantly transform itself as well. And it, it's there's too many examples to ignore. Yeah. So if someone is going through a tough time right now and they feel, you know, it's really hard to even think of a way out, what would you, as a life coach or as a coach, what would you what would you say to that person? Well, I, I believe, first of all, that those moments where we're feeling challenged or maybe we've hit bottom, I mean, the first thing that, that, that I find that is important to do is to acknowledge that you've hit bottom and you're facing these challenges, whether it's illness, whether it's financial relationship, health, uh, addictions, what, what, whatever it might be, is go, yeah, okay, this is where I'm at. And then I believe that the reason that we want something else, that we're frustrated with it, is because we want to move into that next step, and we don't know how to move into that next step. So for, for me, when I've made that decision to move into the next step, even though that challenge may be still present, that next step is bigger, so to speak, 
than that challenge that I'm facing. So if I move into that next arena in a place, go, okay, my recovery, my health, whatever it might be, is so much bigger than what has been happening that I focus on that. And I literally feel that it's a genetic change by changing our mind, by focusing on that, we can literally feel the surge in our body happening. Mm-hmm. I've done it. I've seen other people do it. You know, the, the whole mind-body stuff, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding in it. You know, I don't know if you've ever blushed. I suspect, you know, you have or some mm-hmm. of the listeners have. Blushing is a mind-body interaction. It's an instantaneous change in your state. For whatever reason you've blushed or your cheeks have turned red, it's an immediate reaction. Immediate. Wow, that's really cool. I mean, I never I never thought about that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, but, but we don't recognize it because some of these yeah. common things we, we kind of ignore. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's at my door, but I'm not going to answer No it. problem. <laughs> so you meditate, right? I do. You try to meditate every day? I do meditate every day when I wake up. How long do you meditate for? 15 minutes to 60 minutes. Wow. And you try to go into nature? I see a lot of I, nature pictures on your Facebook. Yeah, I, I frequently go into nature. I like to go every day, but it's probably in reality four or five days a week. And why is that, Michael? I just feel so connected in nature. I, I love to just... The way that I go is, oh, you know, there's many, where, where I live, there's many roads and da-da-da-da. I mostly stay off trails, and I'll go, and I'll park somewhere and just head into the woods. And I love the feeling of the connection with the trees, the ground, uh, sometimes the animals, uh, depending upon what is there. And it helps me really realize my connection to the universe the connection to God and the connection to spirit. Nature really is the mass master healer. Yes. It's so important to go into nature. It's we can it's it's just like almost automatically we feel connected. Yes. And do you teach once a week now? I'm just curious. Or you teach a few times a week? Um you mean as far as yoga? Yeah. Um six to ten times a month I would say. Okay, so it's just kind of set different. Yeah, it, it, it varies a little bit. I, I used to travel, do a lot of workshops, a lot of seminars. You know, I was um, led 30 different Bikram trainings early on. Um, I've done a lot of that. Okay, now it's mostly classes at the studios? No, it's mostly classes. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll still do some workshops, which, which I enjoy. It's uh, And I'll just briefly mention this. You know, I used to do a lot of posture type workshops, but the last couple have been mind-body type uh, workshops where I've gone to studios or to locations um, with the intention of going through a lot of postures. But, you know, people, the feedback that I get is they want to know more about the mind-body. They can learn posture anytime, but that they may not recognize and realize as much interaction is happening through the mind-body feeling and thinking even though I don't like the word mind-body because it seems to signify two different things and it's really one. But 
I try to bring that into the way that I teach and into my practice and whenever I do do um, workshops and seminars. Yeah, I'm completely in alignment with that as well. So if uh, if, if our listeners or anyone wants to get to get to know even this this stuff that you're talking about, these teachings, is there any place, is there any videos, audios, is there anything? How can we get deeper into this if if anyone is interested? Yeah, great great question. My my primary format today is my podcast site fallingupradio.com. I continue on, on a weekly basis to bring new guests on the show. I've, at, I've also started uh, doing a new blog. It's mostly short little videos of three to five minutes, and I'm going to be adding videos every day. I shot another video today when I was up in the mountains, and it's already been posted. So uh, that library of videos is going to continue. So really, that's the best place to and start. And that's also on the same website? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, and they can download a, a free ebook, and if they want to buy a printed copy of my book, I just ask them to pay shipping and handling, and that's all on the website too. So the book is available on the website. Yes, and you can get a free copy of the ebook. You can get a free copy of the ebook, and again, just for a little shipping, you can get a printed copy as well. That's wonderful. Yeah. And uh, what's the easiest way if anyone wants to get a hold of you? fallingupradio.com and if they want to send me an email or anything just go to the contact page on there okay no instagram i don't have instagram (laughs) Uh, wow (laughs) i i have facebook i have my personal profile but, but i also have falling up secrets on facebook as well okay so yeah we'll include all that on the show notes Um, Thank you so much. This was so interesting. It was such a great conversation. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners really appreciate you as well. It's really wonderful to have you as part of our community. And um, I hope that you continue to do all these awesome things that you're doing and exploration and, you know, just keep expanding. And it's really great for everyone. So thank you. Yeah, and thank you, and thank you for inviting me to be on your show. And um, I, I always um, hope that the listeners get what, what they're looking for out of these. And I'm, I'm totally open for anybody to contact me and to talk about any of this at any time. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Michael. I'm going to invite you to share this again with one of your friends or someone who might benefit, might lighten up somebody else's world. I know that myself, I love it when anyone texts me a really cool episode for a podcast. And then I'm on, when I'm on the road and I'm driving or I'm walking or I'm at the gym, I can just hit play and listen to that episode. And I love discovering new podcasts and new people and jumping into new conversations. So why not Life on Earth community for us to do that to others as well and expand the show so that we can continue to give you more content, awesome content, and expand our community. I thank you for being a listener and really for seeing us grow. And we're on episode like over 50 something, which is really cool. Also, I'm going to go back and tell you about my website, 
which is natalikra.com. In this website, you'll see the podcast there. If you want to work with me, there's many different options. Um, check it out. There's also a blog that I post every week. And in the members portal, see about that. See if that calls out to you. We're going to have a group meeting every month where we'll discuss many topics. So that should be quite fun. And it is a way for us to connect with each other and, again, for us to continue to grow. Have a wonderful day. And any of these concepts and ideas that we have explored in this episode, if you are interested, like I said, there's so many documentaries and so much more out there, definitely invite you to continue investigating, researching, and growing and expanding. So lots of light, lots of love. I hope to talk to you guys very soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Life on Earth. You can help us by taking a few minutes to leave a rating and review on iTunes. For more inspiring content, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Search Life on Earth in iTunes or visit lifeonearth.podbean.com.